New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Archetypes, when awakened in you, flesh out your capabilities. As you integrate their strengths, they begin to feel like a part of you. Asking them to be your allies can help you be the director of your own life play. Today we'll be exploring the archetypes of four ancient Greek gods and goddesses. Zeus, Demeter, Persephone, and Dionysus and what they have to contribute to your life in this postmodern era with our guest, Carol Pearson. Dr. Carol Pearson is an expert in depth psychology and transformational leadership, as well as the archetypal narrative intelligence. She has served as professor at several universities and colleges and also served as president of the Pacifica Graduate Institute in Santa Barbara. She was a senior editor of The Inner Edge, a resource for enlightened business practice. She's the author of such classic works as The Hero Within, Awakening the Heroes Within, The Hero and the Outlaw, and Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. Join us for the next hour as we explore using the power of story to transform your life with our guest, Dr. Carol Pearson. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Carol, welcome. So glad to be back with you. It's so wonderful to sit across from you once more. Yeah. I know you begin your book saying something that we are in right now in these times. We are in an incomplete revolution. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is uh, there are many changes that happened in the 60s particularly, and in the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s. (laughs) All the liberation movements, all the change in technology um, that helps us so much, but also keeps us tethered. (laughs) Um, All the changes in science, all the changes in the social sciences and ways of thinking. Even brain science Brain science. We know so much about ourselves. And... um, the sky's the limit potentially, but in the process, we're having to let go of a lot of things that are hard to let go of. 
it's hard to know what to hold on to. Um, life can be somewhat overwhelming, and particularly women are talking about how overwhelmed how overwhelming it is just to raise a family and have a career, uh, much less if you're involved in social change activities and various things. And um, it you could really see, particularly lately when we were in a political season and people saying, really talking about how much is wrong. And well, a lot of what is causing suffering for people some of it is being attached to the way it was and holding on. Some of it is life is a little bit hard right now. But if we have the bigger picture, the, and the, bigger, the bigger picture that we're in the midst of a change, and changes are messy, mm. and it isn't always comfortable. And we know that in our personal lives as well. Um, we're in a time of transition. <laughs> um, it can be hard, a lot of learning curves at the same time. So I think that we can handle living in the contemporary world with more ease if we see that. Right. And I, I would love for you to say, like, there, there are two dominant stories that are present right now. And I know that you advocate maybe looking at a third story. But before we look at that, can we look at... What are the two dominant stories? The one like uh, the win-lose story, and then another one is more about um, abundance and diversity. Since this interview happens to be right after the conventions. This is um, like we're doing the interview just to remind our listeners in the summer of 2016. Yeah. Uh, Yes. And it doesn't matter. It's a timely reference, but it doesn't matter because it just illustrates some things that are that are ongoing in our culture. We had in the Republican convention pretty much the the paradigm that is about uh, which is hierarchical and has the virtue of saying let's all try to be the, use competition to try to be the best we can be. Um, and but also that our value comes from the fact that we are a celebrity or we have a lot of money or we have achieved great things. And um, that has the, the incredible downside of making wonderful people who are keeping the society going feeling bad about themselves and keeping everybody having to work so hard just to feel like I'm good enough to be valued. You know, there's the idea of there's the somebodies and the nobodies there. And um, on the other hand, there's a paradigm that, and I think actually this isn't the old balance to, that, to a dualism, but an emerging paradigm, which you did see a bit in the, in the Democratic um, uh, Convention, but you also see in the culture at large as we see both of them. Um, and that's the the paradigm related to democracy that says we all matter. And I grew up in a, you know, I grew up in a Christian tradition where I learned that, um, that even though I didn't keep all of those beliefs that I was taught, I I kept I kept the belief, the fundamental belief that we're all God's children. And I find it really helpful to when I'm feeling judgmental about somebody, to remember that. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but in that paradigm, we all matter. And um, 
that what's emerging in that paradigm is a sense that of oneness that we it's not just that we all matter in some abstract way but that we're all connected and interdependent and so my helping you isn't some sacrifice i do um i need you i need you and i need you to be able to be be able to be your best self because if in fact um, we were all our best selves <laughs> and brought our gifts and our perspectives. We could solve all the problems we have. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, it, it's not, a, you know, in that paradigm, I don't think it's all the truth is one way. Um, I personally believe this, that we are all one and we all matter, but we also need to um uh, take it seriously that we have some responsibility to be our best selves and work hard and uh, develop our strengths. So that's part of that third story. That third story. Yes. Yeah, yes. is that there's a piece of truth in both. In in the book Persephone Rising, you, you really talk about some of these Greek archetypes. And as I mentioned in the introduction, that these can be helpful to us in some way as we weave our way through this uh, changing time. And you mentioned many times the Eleusinian mysteries that were conducted in Greece in ancient times. And what, what were the origins of these mysteries? Well, they were practiced for 1,500 years. <laughs> um, and they, um, it's thought that they started with women um, as a uh, initiation ritual for young girls. Um, so it was for young girls and their mothers. And um, by, but by the classical period in Greece, it was um, it was for everybody, and everybody who was anybody <laughs> to you know went through this. It probably had a lot to do with the um, development of democracy and drama, at least, and maybe philosophy. Um, it was incredibly powerful. Um, it was the most honored mystery tradition in Greece, and mystery traditions were really initiations to change your thinking, to transform your thinking. And the promise of this was that if you went through it, you would um, be happy, you would feel prosperous, and you would be courageous. Um, no longer having so much fear, particularly of death. Um, and evidently, people said that's what they got. <laughs> that's what they had. Um, and it was a time, uh, particularly later on when it was for everyone, that um, where they were in massive transformation, uh, going through transformation. That's when they were really discovering modern science, at least in the West, Philosophy, so about all what, these things. What years are we talking about? This is. We're talking about a couple of decades before, um, uh, at the end of BC, and okay. then a few decades after. Not, not decades, centuries. So, so but, but be, starting before the birth of Christ. So, a couple of centuries before, before the I mean, birth of Christ. When it was at its height, and yeah. then a couple of centuries after that, it really was shut down in about the 3rd century okay. um, by the Greeks, I mean by the Romans. Yes. 
but it was I, to to think that, and it was it was. I think it's sort of like many of our movements here, particularly the more emergent spiritual movements, and also some of the liberation movements. It it wasn't political, but it had a big impact on the whole culture because everybody was going through it. Right. Everybody wanted to be happy. And I I know that this came out of at least in in mythology, it came out of the whole idea of Demeter uh, and and her whole uh, challenge when her daughter was supposedly abducted and abducted to the underworld. To yeah. the, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, I I I really want to go into that story and to find out how is that relevant to today and and how did she how did it first institute these mysteries to actually occur. Well, Demeter was um, not only the mother goddess, uh, a mother goddess, because her story is all about her and her daughter Persephone, who was abducted to the underworld, and then her mother focuses on trying to rescue her. But she was also the grain goddess, and um, the Greeks believed that she brought agriculture to Greece and taught uh, her priests and priestesses, taught people how to farm. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Carol Pearson. She's the author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, carolspearson.com. And Pearson is spelled P-E-A-R-S-O-N, carolspearson.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Carol S. Pearson, and she's the author of Persephone Rising. We're talking about the Eleusinian mysteries and how they were first conceived by the Greek goddess Demeter. And you spoke that she was the goddess of grain. And and in these times, if we're going forward, what's the importance of her particular symbol for us today? Well, she's the goddess of care, of caring as a mother, but also of caring for the earth in partnership with the earth. There's a huge famine in the middle of the story, and which is like our climate change, <laughs> um, where major change had to happen for the earth to be fertile again. 
She's also, um, her story is the story of a mother who is um, experiencing incredible grief because her daughter is abducted to the underworld by Hades, the lord of the underworld. And then she discovers that um, that uh, Persephone's father, her daughter, Persephone's father was Zeus, the chief god. And um, she knows that because she had a role in the hay with him, which <laughs> produced this, but he was an absentee father. But nevertheless, um, observing patriarchal rules, he had told Hades that he could have her. So he was he had the right to marry her off. He did. He had the right to marry her off. And so she is then, her task is she wants to get her back, but they had rules for goddesses and gods. She couldn't go to the underworld. <laughs> she was an upper world goddess. And so she wanders and wanders and is suffering and unhappy um, um, until... It's at one point, with many details to that, um, she experiences some kindness on the road. She's disguised herself as a mortal uh, peasant woman, which is how she feels. And that it's related to how some of us feel when we feel much smaller than we are. But at one point, um, she gets really angry. And when she gets angry, she returns to her full height as a goddess, and she says, build me a temple. And then she sits there. And at that point, she doesn't let the grain grow because she's what makes the grain grow. So that was like one of the first sit-in strikes. It was so the to first sit-in strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> she just sat down and said, "Okay, I'm yeah. I'm I'm not playing this role right now." Right. And Zeus and his sons and had been hearing her pleas and going kind of there, there. It's all fine. This is a good marriage, and I've approved it. And Don't then, worry about it. We're going to be. And all then, right. so the, then Zeus. Um, does, has this great awakening. And his great awakening is that he may be the chief of the gods, but he can't make the grain grow. And he goes through this transformation, which is really cool and relevant to today, I think, and as we're trying to move out of patriarchy into being full partners as men and women, where he uh, gives in because the people are going to starve and there'll be no one left to worship him. <laughs> But when he does, he starts recognizing that, wait a minute, you know, I can't make the grain grow, but she can. Um, I can't make anybody love me, and they don't. Um, but Aphrodite can. And he begins to look around at all the energies and the strengths and the power that has that is there um, with all the different gods and goddesses. And when he does, he can relax and stop being such a jerk. So, and then he starts to... To understand that he needs to share the power in some way. He needs somewhere. to share the power. Yeah. And that takes a lot of the pressure, you know, out of the stress off of him. Uh, so that's kind of related to when we think we have to do it all ourselves, we can look around at how many people are um, there and all the help that we have. Um, but also, uh, that's when the famine, that's when there's enough again. When that shift happens, there's enough. The, the, uh, the grass grows and the, and the flowers grow and the crops grow and um, they have plenty. Meanwhile, Persephone from the underworld, well, I'll talk about Persephone later because there's... Okay, just there's, one moment. Yeah. Before you go into Persephone, uh, let's, when uh, Demeter said build a temple, 
Part of that was that that's where she established, I believe uh, you mentioned in the book, how she, she established these rituals and mysteries. And she wanted to, she realized that the mortals needed more education to really know uh, more. So she was like one of the first big educators I can see. Oh, she was. And, and if you think about this in the history of religion— um, the way that gods had been working with people is they thought pe- when people were bad and didn't do what they want, they would punish them. And she, and that you know, that insight, um, there were many mortals who helped her when she was disguised as a peasant woman. And and out of that, she she recognized that no, they don't need punishment. They need help to understand the mysteries of life and death. And that's how she, and that's how the Eleusinian Mysteries is created. So that that there we go. That, that that's the establishment of that. And now let's. So we've said something about Zeus. Well, let's go back to Demeter first. Her strength is her nurturing and caring. I think. And yeah. What it? What would be her shadow side then? If. Well, it is the caregiver archetype, and her the shadow of the caregiver archetype is uh, that there's a tendency to be manipulative and controlling, but also sacrificial. And when she— um, So become a martyr, I You'd be a martyr uh-huh. um, to help other people. And when, you know, she— <laughs> um, you know, when she's being all pathetic, and you know she's just totally pathetic when somebody <laughs> does something to her daughter. When she 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 remembers she's a goddess, and you know there is that that I count to, and what I love counts too. What I value counts too, and she's willing to take a really strong stand rather than. You know, you could imagine her as bringing casseroles to everybody in the in the neighborhood, which is very good, but taking a stand and right now in our culture I mean you said that we not only have climate change because we're not caring for the earth we're we're, we're raping it we also aren't caring for one another and so that this um, and there was some of that in ancient Greece too and this goddess is saying when you don't care for each other you don't have prosperity you don't have love and everybody gets afraid. That's the happiness, prosperity, and courage. Now, going to Zeus, uh, you know, he was authoritarian and so forth and so on. But I, I want to talk about his strengths. Like, if we wanted to personify our Zeus energy in the best part of that in our lives, what would that look like? Well, what— I would acknowledge just first Zeus starts out in exile because his father was was swallowing all his children and his mother saved him and sent him to Crete and where he grew up by himself, basically. I mean, he started out powerless, exiled, As an orphan. abandoned, yeah. an orphan. Okay, so he started with nothing and then he connected up with his, what saved him was he connected up with his inner power and his sense of calling and purpose. And his purpose was to actually become the chief of the gods. And, and then he called on his warrior strength to fight to get there. 
Um, and he had, and he had all the strengths to be able, a lot of strength to be able to have a calling, persevere, even when it was really horrible. There's one point where um, Typhon, a big monster, has subdued him and, and taken the tendons out of his hands and feet. <laughs> so he couldn't even move. He couldn't even yeah. move. And Hermes comes and helps him, which is beginning the help thing. And saves us, and he learns from he learns from Hades that he can be strong without being violent, and learns to use negotiation instead of. And instead Hades of is war. a brother, right? Uh, yes, yeah. uh -huh. yes. They're all they're all kind brothers and sisters, Demeter's yeah. right. sister. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very incestuous. Yes. but um, he's got a real gift of social organization. He understands how to put things together. He understands power dynamics, which so many of us that have a very spiritual approach to life forget to care about um, or notice. And and but uh, and he goes from maybe sometimes power over in a negative way to power with and power for that is is capable of making a society really work. I mean, he for any of us who are trying to figure out, well, what's my purpose and how do I get there? He's part of the answer. Yes, Demeter's part of the answer too. So it's not to to just negate that altogether, but it's bringing these qualities into our lives and their multiplicity, so to speak. Yeah. Well, every one of the stories, every one of these gods and goddesses in their myths have a have dysfunctional childhoods, <laughs> and their stories, if you put them together, the myths are how we can move from whatever difficulty we came from to have the gifts. So at different parts of their stories, they, demo, they, they show the less development, developed parts. Right. Um, which is different than how our you know, gods are now uh, and how we think of them. But um, it was kind of a brilliant thing by these ancient... Uh, uh, ancients to take human qualities to and show us in the myths how to get there. What do you mean if that's different than how gods are now, the way we view? Only that there's that we tend to um, have our gods be perfect. Uh, uh -huh. They're more aspirational. Yes. Whereas these um, gods and goddesses went through the same kind of struggles that we do. Yes. So that's that's the power of these myths. That you, we can relate to them on a on, on a, in a human way, so yeah. to speak, because they've been there and done that. Right, and for us, their personifications as archetypes of particular energy patterns that all humans have access to. What about now, Persephone? We're, we're going to at least begin our exploration of Persephone. So, uh, tell us, uh, Persephone was very, very. Interesting. She was, she was able to. You mentioned earlier how uh, Demeter could not go into the underworld, and in a way, Hades, who is the god of the underworld, could not come to the upper world. But Persephone was very different in in her configuration because she was able through her strivings and through her choices and destiny and fate or whatever th those qualities were, she was able to to travel between the two worlds. So we'll talk about that in 
in just one moment. And I want to remind our listeners that I am here with Carol S. Pearson. She is the author of many books, including The Hero Within and also Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. And uh, if you want to know more about the work of Carol Pearson, you can go to her website, carolspearson.com. And she spells her last name, P-E-A-R-S-O-N, carolspearson.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Carol S. Pearson. She's the author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. And we're getting to the part of the story of the Greek goddess Persephone. So what can you tell us about her attributes and uh, what she is bringing, what gifts she's bringing to us? Yeah. Well, she starts She starts out as a overprotected innocent. <laughs> um um, but uh, moving—I'll come back to her story a bit, but uh, but you've already said about how she can move between the underworld and the upper world. Um, she ends up being a kind of shamanistic figure. And if Demeter is shifting how everybody sees how gods should treat mortals, she actually is moving people away from their fear— because she's moving between the place where the dead live and the place where the living live. And she goes back and forth. And her message is, yeah, so do you. So do you. It's all right. And the ancient, um, the, the ancient women's uh, right that this came from would see uh, uh, connected death with agriculture. That is, you plant a seed and the seed grows. And, uh, and then it flowers and there's fruit and it dies and it's planted and another one comes up and with birth, with sexuality and birth. And the seed goes in and uh, uh, into the woman and, and nothing seems to be happening until her tummy gets big and eventually there's a baby. So it's, uh, it's seen as equivalent to when we die, we're planted. It's right. all about agriculture. It's all in a piece, and, the, and, and we're held together by the love of the mother is the pattern here. But the story is really, I, to me, very interesting, and I think emerging to, today in the feminine and man, men and women. Um, she, she's abducted when she's in the meadow without her mommy, and she sees the most beautiful flower. She's an adolescent. She the most beautiful flower, and she goes to pick it. And uh, she has this great desire for this flower. And when she does, out of the earth comes Hades on his chariot. And uh, some people think she may have flirted with him a little bit before he grabbed her away and took her to the underworld. 
having, of course, been told by her father that he could marry her. Um, we know very little about what actually happens in the underworld. Um, some, particularly the Romans, talked about that he raped her. Um, I think in a Greek context that is very unlikely um, because one of the things that we see is they become a kind of ha happy enough couple. We, there's pictures of them that make it look like they're very happy. And she knows, I would guess, that her mom's trying to rescue her. And she's been there a while, and she sees this. Um, and you don't eat in the underworld if you don't want to be there, if you don't want to go back. Everybody knows that in Asian Greek. And she accepts three um, or six, some number of pomegranate seeds, and she eats them, which is quite an intentional act. And I think— Now, that's very different than how the normal interpretation, like the— it's the t interpretation is he tempted her with this, but you're saying she actually made a purposeful act of eating the seeds. Well, it's the only explanation that makes sense for the—I uh, mean, if you say that, okay, he raped her and then um, uh, made her eat or tempted her, somehow made her eat the seeds, and then she comes out and she has to—the way the story goes is she goes out and she says— well, I ate these things, so I have to have a part of the year I have to be in the underworld, and the other part of the world I can be with you, Mom. Um, you wouldn't build a religion on that, not a women's religion. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So the only way it makes it sense is that was a creative act. Knowing her mother was working to get, would be working to get her out, and she'd like to be in the upper world more, and knowing um, that she's clearly fallen for this kind of, sexy, dark man. <laughs> um, she wants to be do both. So when Hades comes to get her because Zeus gives in and to take her back to her mom, she says, well, I ate these pomegranate seeds. <laughs> and I have to go, so, you know, she's, six, she's like 16. Mom, he made me do it. Right. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> right. But it's, it's a little bit like what I've been working with, with— um, and, and, and Demeter has to realize, as the, you know, you talk about the downside of the caregiver, that her daughter wants something different than she thought she did. And she supports, the, she supports her. And, okay, she wants to go back. So one of the things about Persephone that, that struck me is that she really works with the Eros energy, that life vitality that that energy that uh, is all about our aliveness in some way and on about fate and destiny, but also choice. Yeah. Well, I mean that you know that flower. Just think, Georgia O'Keeffe on that flower. I mean, you know, there's a, a rising of sexual eros, but then she represents eros in a wider way. I mean, she's the goddess of spring and that feeling of expansion that we have when suddenly the flowers are coming up. Um, she uh, goes to the underworld and she becomes the queen there. I mean, she has that expansive erotic energy to love the people there want them not to be so confused and worry and worry so that's phenomenal so she's a goddess of spring and then she's loved by the people who have died the and are the dead and they're in the underworld and they're confused she's like everything and 
and uh, um, and with you know that I, I think the abduction is really important because lots of times when we get attracted to something, we get something we never imagined. Like if she did flirt with him and he took her off, well, she didn't actually know she chose to be there. I mean, there are so many times in life that we're being abducted by something that looks shiny. And then what we get is very often a huge learning curve. Right. And you know, I, it, it reminds me of a word that you use, and I think you are quoting Brian Swim in the book, and it's the word allurement. It's like following our allurement, and no, it yeah. takes us on an adventure. Yeah. And absolutely, this whole The Yosinia Mysteries is about following allurement, following love, call what you love, following this erotic pool, which can be for a spiritual path. It can be for a job. It can be, um, and then dealing with the fact that it's almost always an abduction into something harder than we ever than we expected, you know. And then we learn and we grow, and then we're oh, and we don't need to be afraid of that. And the other piece is, she shows her creativity when she figures out. That eros energy is not okay. She gets him, the guy, the perfect, you know, the guy that's right for her, but she wants more. Yes, like women in the beginning of the uh, the twentieth, you know, twenty twentieth century or nineteen seventy women's movement. Well, I like being home, but I I need to go. Ahead. I want to work too, or whatever. I was saying, I want a bigger life than this, and the eros is about that feeling of I want that bigger life. I know there's something bigger for me. There's a leap I could take. And then the creativity in hers, in her case, was a very simple act. Eat the pomegranate seeds. Right. And, um, you know, for every one of us, it's when we've followed our allurement, but we get in, we realize this is not yet enough. There's more. I, there's more for me to do. My heart is bigger than this. I could have more than this. I could give more than this. And she... Um, she finds a small, creative thing she can do. You know, it just reminds me of my own story when I met Michael, the, like more than 40 years yeah. ago. I met him in 1972, and it was that allurement. And I thought my life would be a certain way. And, boy, I had no idea what that relationship would lead to. And it leads to you and I sitting across from each other right now, Ooh. having this conversation. I just got goosebumps I know, I, yeah. I, I get them too. So uh -huh. it's that whole story. We don't know where it's going to lead. Uh -huh. If we knew, we probably wouldn't do it, but... Right, because it's... Uh, it seems we, so overwhelming. And it comes back, too, to where we are culturally. I mean, we have allurements about all kinds of things we want and we're attracted to and whatever, some of them shallow, and we learn better um, as we as we uh, experience those. Um, but it's hard. I mean, the any time that we're in in a growth process, there's going to be things that are really difficult. But what they do is make us deeper, wiser, better, and happier. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> uh, by the way, happier. And so, you know, and that's why when she comes, having having made that choice, when she steps back on the upper world, um, the um, spring comes immediately, the flowers bloom around her feet, 
joy is restored. Uh, and then she joins her mom. And her mom is with the Eleusinian Mysteries, and her mom is like the teacher, and she is the initiator, the one that is the agent of transformation that can help us let go of all those old stories that are holding us in boxes and moving into an expansive sense of what is possible. So that that goes in directly into the, the work that you do in narrative intelligence in really looking carefully at the stories that we are telling ourselves. And I'm, I'm reminded of uh, someone who did some research. I think his name is Stephen Denning. I'm not sure I think that's Oh, his, yes, Stephen. Uh-huh. Can you remind us of his research about storytelling? Well, yeah, he's an expert on leadership and he and leadership storytelling, and he um, he came up with this when he was a major person at the World Bank. Um, and what he discovered is he was trying to convince the World Bank of something by giving them more and more data, and had no impact. What had an impact was a story, and telling real stories about. Um, what was happening? I think one of those stories was they were, you know, um, they would get requests for uh, from a country about how to pave roads, and they would study it for six months and have a panel of, uh, you know, a panel that reviewed it, and then it was edited and whatever. And a year later, they'd give the response, and he told them stories about the fact is what's happening right now, is that um, I got an, you know a friend of mine in the in the bank got an email about that, answered it, um, you know, about what's the best, uh, what's the best product to use to do your, <laughs> to do your roads. And it was done, you know, it was just done. And so those are ordinary stories. But what I've discovered, and, um, and, and Stephen has also learned, is that the archetypal stories are, are even more powerful than those everyday stories. Because they're carrying the uh, um, every er- archetype carries the energy of a human potential. I'm here with Carol S. Pearson, and she's the author of Persephone Rising: Awakening the Heroine Within. I'm Justine Willis Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Carol S. Pearson, and she's the author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. I want us to mention Dionysus as the fourth god that you really mention in detail in this book. And I want to start by by mentioning a, a movie that you yeah. talk about in the book that really describes his energy. And this also dovetails with what we're talking about, about narrative intelligence. And I, I just want to read this because the movie begins with a quote from um, Louis Ferdinand uh, Céline's novel, Journey to the End of the Night. And uh, the movie is The Great Beauty, and it starts with this quote, which is so powerful, and I want you to comment on it. Our own journey is entirely imaginary. That is its strength. It goes from life to death. People, animals, cities, things are all imagined. It's a novel, simply a fictitious narrative. Whoa. Okay, so (laughs) what do you mean it's all imaginary? What does he mean and what What does does that mean? mean? What does he mean and what does that mean to you and what can it mean to us? I'll just say what it means to me. Yes. Neuros, you know, neuroscientists now are telling us are telling us how much um, what we take to be our lives is filtered through the stories we already have in our heads, and the and the human senses. I mean, you know, now we know there's dark matter and dark energy out there that's completely a new thing that we probably can't grasp because we don't have the right senses for it. You know, possibly. Um, and what, what, one of the things that that means is that most of us are trapped in stories, and in stories in our heads that tell us what reality is and what we can be and where we are in that reality. Um, so, and, so in other words, it's like we go along and there are all these possibilities in front of us, but it's all a matter of what we are noticing. Right, it's what we notice. It's the, that's the part that's the trick. Yeah, what we notice, yeah, that's the trick. What we notice is, is the, are essentially the props and the characters that fit our narratives that we already have. And it's a surprisingly interesting thing how, first, how quickly you can change a story. It seems easy. I mean, it seems hard. But, you know, most of us have um, I'm not enough. I'm not enough tracks going there because it comes from our culture. And, um, uh, uh, you know, there's the things you can do to say, is that true? I, I, there's, uh-huh. there's a great example that you give in uh-huh. the book where, where you, were, you were crying to a friend. Okay. And, you know, something had happened, you know, with something and, and you were crying. And she turned around and she said to you, just very simply, she said, Carol, it's just weather. When it rains, you don't cry. You get an umbrella. I and mean, it just totally that, changed my story. Boom. It just totally changed my story. Yeah, and there are things. My brother's pretty good at that. And I was once uh, sobbing that my, I, I cry easily, I sobbing when my favorite wonderful aunt, um, who was in a nursing home, they called me and said she she had been a missionary and she was a very proper lady and um, actually wore gloves in the time I can remember her. And my 
they called and said she was throwing off her clothes and walking naked. And I called my brother, and I, and I was laughing. I mean, I was crying, and he started laughing. And he said, Carol, she should have done that years ago. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, and we can do that for one another. And we can also just start being attentive um, to the stories we have. Some of the stories in our brains just came from our culture we learned, or our families where we learned them so early that we didn't question them, which means that then to just notice we have that and where did that come from and is that really me? We can weed the garden. Um, and then there are stories that may even be connected to archetypes that are strong in us, but they're the less developed story, like Demeter. I mean, Demeter is feeling powerless. She's a goddess, and she's feeling powerless because Zeus made a decision. And she doesn't have a sense that, wait a minute, there's something I can do. And she doesn't um, tell herself a new, her new story is, I'm a goddess. Build me a temple. <laughs> she does it powerfully. And don't plan to eat enough in, the next, enough. Yeah, don't right. plan, in the next century. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, claiming uh, claiming our power yeah. to um, <clears throat> to adjust the stories that we're living by in the moment and a long range. So it's important to reframe, to, to constantly reframe what we're up against and and that's not easy sometimes it takes some friendship and takes some people to to help us to do that yeah um absolutely you gave a good example of friends <laughs> yeah uh, friends that do that for us um yeah but it's also just as as there are so many messages from the the culture right now, particularly this is a woman, all of this book really could be for men and women. It's sort of touted as a women's book. You know, particularly if you look at women's magazines. I mean, I go to get my nails done and look at the women's magazine, and by the time I get out, I have 47 things I need to do desperately to be a decent woman. <laughs> <laughs> Many of which require buying products. Um, and... You know, those, those, and we're getting political messages that we have to check their accuracy if, if they're based right. on any truth or the, if the spin is a story we want to embrace. Um, it's coming at us all the time. So having that, just critical thinking is helpful to, to try to keep from internalizing the stories that don't foster aliveness. You, you use the term archetypal download. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean that there's um, one way to look at archetypes is they're, okay, they're part of human potential, but they're also, there's a kind of attractor field of, if we think about Dionysus as an example, Dionysus is, a, is the field of people being in their aliveness, in their joy, in a kind of natural expression of who they are, um, dancing together. Um, so it's communal as well as expressing some unvarnished self. And um, there's an energy field that we are essentially can connect with, particularly if we've been very serious all our lives or if, if we haven't been, if we haven't been very caring, there's the Demeter energy field, there's the Persephone's um, shamanistic energy field and Zeus's get organized <laughs> energy field. We can essentially down, uh, download in the sense that 
we become conscious of saying, yes, I need that. So in other words, if we're going in for an uh, an interview for a job, we might want to put on some Zeus energy. We would, in most places, we would definitely, <laughs> right. unless we were getting going to a job in the Head Start Bureau, in which case Demeter would be. <laughs> Demeter, definitely. Uh, but then if we find ourselves, we're just working way too many hours and we just finally feel ourselves exhausted, then we might call up Dionysus and say, I need to go dancing. I absolutely. need to go do some salsa uh-huh. dancing in a local club with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to, um, to connect up with what you mentioned earlier, if we make that choice, we're, we're basically saying, I want that energy. And it could be in a moment like that, I just need that now. Or it could be that I've never done this, but hey, it'd be cool. It triggers that story in our brain, which helps us notice the opportunities, the props, the characters that are in that story, which may have been invisible to us before that. So there's the key. It kind of closes the loop. You're what you're noticing is rising up for you. Yeah. I have a friend who um, says she wakes up in the morning and tracks the world uh, for uh, consciously for humor, which would also be Dionysus, you know. And another friend who tracks the world every day for who needs what—that's more caregiver, and that's just what they have chosen to do. Um, what is really lovely is to have the uh, um, ability to um, co- consciously connect with any of these four and some others too. But these four are very, very primal. To, to human happiness, um, to have access to all of them and be able to, at will, um, download download another piece of their story and their capacities. What they do is then build our abilities as we live their stories and consciously live their stories. Um, consciously is important. As we consciously live our, those stories, it develops our capacity in whatever that learning path is, care, organization, Fun, tra- transformation, um, and uh, but if we are doing it unconsciously, that is, um, archetypes can be in us that we didn't, we have not, we didn't say could be there. Yeah, <laughs> um, they're much more likely to be expressed in our negative and their negative sides. Right, as a shadow. Right, part. but that also means, and this is related to Demeter's gentleness about how we should see ourselves. We just need to be educated. We don't need to hate ourselves or be mad or be horribly ashamed of that. We can say, oh, yes, that is what happens when I'm not conscious of that energy. And if I'm conscious of that energy, I can express it in its more positive form. And then just gently turn ourselves towards something more positive. Right. Not, and, not to beat ourselves up. Yeah. And we can see that in other people, too. Yes. Um, it, it, it helps us be more gentle yes. with other people rather than moving to judgment. Oh, Carol, I want to thank you so much for being part of New Dimensions today. Well, it's always great to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Carol Pearson. She's the author of Persephone Rising, Awakening the Heroine Within. And if you want to know more about her work, her website, carolspearson.com. And she spells her last name P-E-A-R-S-O-N, Carol S. Pearson. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org.
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3591. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. Thank you.